1: Discounts not available in all states and situations.
0: There's no place to escape to. This
1: is the last. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? (sighs) Hey, you dirty finks. What? Yeah, you, you dirty cut out finks. You ready Whoa. to spend some time in the who's cow? What are you even calling me that for? And what's a who's cow? No, you want to meet me down in the mess, you dirty fink? Why am <laughs> I a fink? Because of your lousy ways and your stool pigeon nature. Coming oh. down here threatening me during mess. I'm not even... I'm not four men do- not supposed to talk. Four men in, four men out. you come coming down here in the who's cow trying to tell me what to do. I'm the boss in this here who's cow. I just <laughs> want Salisbury steak. Well, you're in luck. Woo-hoo. Because here in Alcatraz, you have to eat every single bit of food that's on your plate Mm -hmm. at lunch. And what a lucky boy you'd be. I (laughs) love every
2: second of it. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Henry, and of course, hanging
1: out with Marcus as well. Hi. Yeah, you dirty, you dirty pimps! Whoa, that's geez. the worst thing you could call somebody back in the day. If you called somebody a dirty pimp, you'd get yourself a you get yourself a little bit of a knuckle hoagie. Oh my <laughs> goodness, I don't want a knuckle hoagie. I just want my Salisbury steak. Finagling Why is one so buggerin'? old bitches oh my goodness <laughs>
2: you would be absolutely wonderful being used as a human tube in prison right? <laughs> i mean as long as i served a purpose absolutely yeah. all right so why all the prison talk many of you might be asking well today we
3: are covering alcatraz and i am very excited now this is going to be a three-part series in which alcatraz will be covered at length Alcatraz! (laughs) It's just
1: a fun (laughs) thing to say out loud. Alcatraz!
3: (laughs) We're going to cover everything from the torturous conditions of the prison to the infamous escapes, both successful and failed. But we're also going to say up front that this first part is going to be pretty light on Alcatraz Island itself. Okay. Instead, we're going to start this series talking about the types of people who ended up on Alcatraz, starting with one of its best-known prisoners— Robert Stroud, aka the Birdman of Alcatraz.
1: This was one of the most <laughs> famous prisoners in America. This is—he is a—he yeah. is uh, was a pop icon. He was a part of the American tapestry. He was very famous at the time, mm-hmm. and I also love the concept of having somebody like that kind of name in jail, like the Birdman of Alcatraz. Sure. It sounds like Arkham Asylum.
2: Yeah. It really does not to be confused with Coco Beware, of course, the birdman of professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh. Well, somewhat of a cross between Jack Unterweger and a light version of Carl Panzram, Robert Stroud became an example of a reformed criminal worthy of mercy, not once, but twice during his fifty-four years of incarceration. Well Ooh. he
1: definitely wanted to appear to be a reformed criminal worthy of mercy.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Stroud first went into prison in 1909 and in the intervening years had become known as a bird expert specializing in canaries and had even published a couple of books on the subject that masqueraded as scientific studies. Eventually, a book was written about Stroud, portraying him as somewhat of a misunderstood, unfairly treated genius. And by 1962, Burt Lancaster had turned in an Oscar-nominated performance playing Robert Stroud in the movie based on the book, which is, of course, called Birdman of Alcatraz.
1: And you should check it out. It's one of those... Pillars of classic crime movies. That's what this podcast, this series, I would be. It's not even like, you know, true crime we cover in terms of like grizzly serial killers or cults. This is about, to me, about crime in America, like crime yeah. history. And right. Birdman of Alcatraz, the movie, like is a classic film. And you and I remember that's how I knew anything about the Birdman of Alcatraz was Bert Lancaster being like, I love these canaries, and just like these canaries, I yearn to be free. And you think that that's who he was? He was like this, like classy, tall, handsome guy that just happened to be in jail because he lost his temper as a little boy, and now he's like, you know, he's just railing against the system. But what I love about what we get to cover in our series is that Robert Stroud was a fucking total ass weirdo.
2: I believe that. The Birdman of Alcatraz is not going to be a normal dude. I watched this movie in college because my roommate was studying film. And would you believe it? He's a multi-billionaire now. Uh, No, I'm just joking. Uh, But we did. I love him. He's fantastic. But it it was on the television. And my only complaint is not that many birds. (laughs)
0: Yeah, we're <laughs> have the birds. In the actual movie.
2: also in the
1: story there are yeah. not that many birds that in the story what are you talking about we're gonna be talking about birds for like 30 minutes later oh wow I, I didn't go- actually realize how long we were gonna be talking about birds.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there's so much bird yeah i'd like to have a fucking listener count how many times i say the word bird in the over the course of this episode all right
1: I mean huh? I'm excited I, I, I'm fine with bird talk if you're one of those people that believe birds are real which is uh, <laughs> constant, talk. that is a new meme it's a, it's a meme <laughs>
3: thing. and the movie portrayed Stroud as a fastidious and sensitive yet rebellious inmate who fought against the system at every opportunity particularly when injustice reared its ugly head to Stroud or the people close to them And in the end, the viewer is left with a sense that Robert Stroud is a pretty good guy, after all, who just loves birds and his mama, and he was simply a victim of circumstance and the system that was determined to destroy the Birdman. Can I just say this, uh, Marcus, Rather, with your defense being like, oh, he just
2: loves birds and his mama? I would be like pre-incarcerate him because that <laughs> man is going to be a serial killer. If someone tells me I just love oh birds no. and my mama. KB loved birds and his mom. Yes, but Kevin also was a talented writer yes. who created <laughs> a television and shows. He had a lot five. of sex with like women. Lil he did a Ro- lot of fun things. He yeah. lived what we call a yeah, yeah, full yeah.
3: life. Oh. If you
2: only like birds and your mother. You need to seek
3: therapy. <laughs> hey, that's that's not my defense. That's just how the movie Birdman of Alcatraz portrayed him. And okay. as such, the American public, much like the Austrian public did with Jack Unterweger, they came out in support of Robert Stroud. And multiple petitions and campaigns were started to get Robert Stroud released from prison. However, unlike Unterweger's supporters, who fell for Unterweger's charm and good looks, mm. most people who spoke to Robert Stroud for more than five minutes unequivocally realized that he should not under any circumstance, see the light of day as a free man.
1: I will tell you what I do need to get out of this prison, but mostly it is to give me the pure freedom to murder again. Oh my, I do love, (laughs) I love, you can see the protesters
2: outside being like, let him out, let him out. They do the interview and they come out and they're like, keep him him in. in." (laughs) Keep him in.
3: (laughs) See, the real Robert Stroud was an obvious psychopath. Pathologically self-centered, impulsive, very violent, remorseless, and above all, highly manipulative. Mm. Now, the same could be said of Jack Unterweger. But Stroud was different because Stroud had almost no control over what came out of his own mouth.
1: The only way I could describe him is if uh, if Rush Limbaugh was an actual convicted criminal, like if, we could, if he could have went to jail, where he he should have had. If Robert Stroud had an album, it would be the album with the you know the no censure zone, right. like an emergency tape, like over his mouth, because so- Robert Stroud was again a bit of a weirdo and he had a lot of like hot takes for the day <laughs>
2: interesting so you're saying robert stroud would have won the presidential medal of freedom that's uh, fantastic
3: what a great legacy we have In 1961, the year before Birdman of Alcatraz was released, Stroud actually told a court deciding his fate that his principal interest in being released was to finally tick names off of a murder list that he'd been keeping for years. And since he was getting older, he was running out of time to accomplish the task.
1: From what I've read about traffic and what's going on out in the public, it's going to take a long time to do multiple errands a day.
2: (laughs) Uh, What do you mean by errands, Mr. Stroud?
1: Kill and kill and kill
2: again. We're just going to keep you here for a while. Killing,
1: fucking, rape, and shave, and kill again. Interesting. I'm I'm writing books, too, though, in between.
2: (laughs) I see. I just watched that movie Death Note, and it seems like he was filling out his own version of a Death Note, writing names into a book, trying
1: to get them mirrored. Look at this weeaboo waifu we got over (laughs) here here talking as
3: anime. I didn't know. Robert Stroud was also a proud pederast in the Roman tradition who preferred sex with boys.
1: He's a proud pederast. What does that mean? (laughs) He is he identified as a pedophile.
3: Yeah, he, he would be a member of Nambla. Okay. yeah. See, in the movie Birdman of Alcatraz, Robert Stroud writes a book about the history of prisons in America and the mean old warden makes sure that it never sees the light of day. Now, in reality, Robert Stroud did indeed write a 2000 page manuscript about the U.S. penal system, but he had also liberally peppered in graphic descriptions of gay sex with young boys because outside of birds, that was his favorite subject to write about. And inside of, his, inside of
1: birds, his favorite subject was having sex with boys. Isn't that fun? You can see him writing this
2: book and then just being like, and a little bit of sugar to help the medicine go down. <laughs> yes. As I write about having sex with children, perhaps he thought it was more of a palate cleanser. Honestly, it's all about keeping it light.
1: It's edutainment. Uh, but Robert Stroud, I woke, I'm i going to be a bit of a pushback because I started reading what was published of this novel, which was novel. I call it Tome. I don't know what the hell you'd call this. It's, it's a, a book. Page. It's just
3: an, a nonfiction book.
1: It's a nonfiction okay. book. It's called Looking Outward, and there is supposedly a chapter that has not been published that is supposed to talk about... It's more about... If you have sex with boys, if they're available in jail, and if so, everybody's high-fiving. But if they're not available in jail, it's about he wrote a a chapter about the which I do think was about his personal fantasies talking about the the how much gay sex was happening in jail and how Uh great it was.
3: How is that? How is that not exactly what I just said? Why are you well, pushing just, back on that? I'm just saying
1: it,
2: it wasn't I just. Henry just, just about <laughs> wanted to talk. He, Henry just wanted to fantasize it in his own mind. It wasn't
1: just about the young boys. It was also just about grizzled men. So oh, it
3: wasn't just about the young boys. Do you want to read this description of one young boy that was in that book? No, this is. I don't know if this is from this book. He wrote many <laughs> things about young
2: well, just, boys. Just a quick toss up here. Who had more fun in prison, Stroud or Richard Speck? Oh.
1: who? Who Richard
3: Speck made
1: it a vacation. He brought the <laughs> vacation to
3: him. But Henry, why don't you go ahead and just read one of these descriptions of Robert? Robert, one of Robert Strauss' descriptions of a young boy.
1: Here we go. Let's take a look at it. Yeah, do it
3: in a very good character, so no one can confuse it. Come
1: here, come here now, but not gonna. Be. His name is Bert Latincaster. I was play for hmm. him in the movie. A little blonde, weavy-haired, dimpled-cheeked darling that had not yet had his first shave, sweet enough to hang Ugh. on the Christmas tree, Ugh. <laughs> and I'm the Christmas tree and I Santa know. Claus. <laughs> That's oh my goodness. The whole, So this book is called Looking Outward, but I thought the point of prison was to look inward. He got mad that it was he was forced to look inward because especially when they changed the uh the, he had a view of the Golden Gate Bridge in Alcatraz and then they boarded it up.
3: Oh. Well, in addition to that, he also wrote numerous short stories about gay incest, including one story about two brothers aged nine and 15 who engaged in a bout of passionate morning sex.
1: And I will say I told Natalie because I just wanted to get some examples of gay incest titles of erotica because I wanted to see if any of them were like what Robert Stroud wrote. And is I told Natalie. I this up. It is Oh, it is. Look, books. Incest, gay, right here under this this title right here. And these are some of my favorite titles of one. Um, the Ambassadors. <laughs> Let Your Heart Decide. The carnivorous lamb is one that was that sound really, really intense. Um, There's so, so hope, many the of them. The legend of the Ditto twins. Oh,
3: my. <laughs> Speaking of Limbaugh, Ditto heads. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, it, that's a, a whole fucking, you know, of course, that's a whole genre. I mean. Do and not preference that. Do not say dude, of course. Of, of um, course, I yeah. didn't know the
2: gay incest porn in via via book form was a regular genre. We never pitched it.
1: Hey, hey
2: <laughs> we never pitched you it. At, You're right.
3: You look at Pornhub. What do you see? You see stepsister. You see all this stepsister stuff. You really think there's not going to be stepbrother porn? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. believe we had the word step in there, did we?
0: <laughs> this is biological.
3: <laughs> it's a biological. <laughs> Well, even on top of all that, Stroud was also physically disgusting, completely contrary to the fastidious gentleman portrayed in the movie. Now, Robert Stroud did, in fact, care for an unusually large number of birds during his prison term. But because all of those birds were kept in his prison cell, his environment and his person were both covered in bird shit from the constant (laughs) defecating of hundreds of birds. I will say he is very... It's
1: very similar to kind of what went on with Rock Terrio. I mean, not in terms of the savagery, but in terms of outsider medicine is what he performed. Like it was veterinary work done by somebody who has no training whatsoever, who just made up his own inner folklore of how to care for birds. Mm -hmm. And so it's strange. It's like, remember Wesley Willis? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock rock and roll McDonald's, of course. It's him, but if he was a veterinarian.
2: Interesting. (laughs) RIP, very talented artist.
3: Mm -hmm. But to this day, people are still falling for the Birdman of Alcatraz story because it wasn't just the movie that portrayed him this way. It was the book as well. A book that presented itself as nonfiction, presented a completely fictionalized version of Robert Stroud. Hmm. The top review of the book on Amazon is a testimony from a reader who read it five years ago, and they said they often cried while reading it, inspired both by Stroud's love of birds and his inner strength. Hmm. As I read it, I could almost smell bird shit. It was so <laughs> written so perfectly. <laughs> they leave the bird shit out completely. I mean, of the course behind, they do. I mean, that's the thing. The reason behind this continuation of sympathy for Stroud is that every single one of the inconvenient facts about Stroud, from the pederasty to the psychopathic behavior... This was all left out of the book and the movie, and in some cases was just like specifically changed to make oh. Stroud sound better.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. You could see the red pencil come in when they're like, <laughs> let's cut some of this out. Let's cut this whole section about the Ditto twins out. <laughs> yeah.
2: The entire book should be just about how he's surrounded by bird shit. Yeah? <laughs> Can you
3: imagine the amount of Dookie in that in that cell? Oh, what Well, it's also, this book was put out in 1955. So, you know, the American reading public is not necessarily going to go for the gritty details like we like today. They weren't ready. We like the real shit. They weren't ready in 1955.
1: Yeah, because they didn't have motherless... When growing up on the internet, they didn't have fuck, fucking rotten. What was it? Rotten.com. Rotten. Well, rotten yeah, yeah. They didn't mm-hmm. have that growing up. So. Rotten.com. Rotten. Rotten. They just had the war.
2: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they had the real wars and the real abuse that was happening at home. Rotten.com, by the way, the forefront of exposing some of the criminality of the second Iraq war.
3: Wow. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Very good. Well, as it's put in our highly recommended source today, that's Birdman, The Many Faces of Robert Stroud by Jolene Babiak. People were not petitioning for the release of Robert Stroud. They were petitioning for the release of Burt Lancaster's portrayal of Robert Stroud. <laughs> of course.
2: And of course, it's very interesting. Babiak is obviously the, uh, the daughter of Kathy.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, if you think about that because you know Kathy's last name is Ack and then this is <laughs> baby Ack it's not her last name oh I In actually fact, don't know what her last name is I want to say Kathy's last name is Hitler <laughs> wouldn't that be fun if they, that, there was an inside joke
3: with the, the illustrator the whole time it's like
1: Kathy Hitler and then you always cross it out right yeah,
3: before yeah <laughs> it's kind of funny In fact, the portrayal of the movie was so out of character when compared to the real Stroud that former inmates of Alcatraz, hardened criminals all, thought that Burt Lancaster should have apologized for portraying such a sinister character in a positive light.
2: Yes, yes, I did kill a family of eight, but your performance sucked, (laughs) and I'm going to need an apology for
3: it. (laughs) Concerning Robert's early life, Stroud was born in Seattle in 1890, but his parents, Frank and Elizabeth, weren't married when Elizabeth became pregnant. Upon the discovery of the pregnancy, Frank, an alcoholic, immediately demanded an abortion, and so began Robert Stroud's life. Off to on a good step, on (laughs) a nice foot, and everybody's happy. All right. Eventually... Frank and Elizabeth did get married and they predictably entered into a long, abusive, dysfunctional relationship with Robert right in the middle. Now, at first, Frank simply ignored his son. But as he got older, Frank actively hated his son, Robert, and refused to even pick the kid up. And it does have long-reaching mm. effects, of course. Yeah, if it you does. don't give
1: physical uh, comfort and physical affection to a child, Absolutely. we ta- The best
3: example was Kenifer uh, Bianchi. You know that we talked about in the Hillside Stranglers uh, episode. Remember we talked about the monkey and the terry cloth? Yes, that, that whole thing. Oh. Well, once Robert reached school age, Frank threatened, intimidated, punished, manipulated, and beat his firstborn son. But in 1898, Elizabeth gave birth to Robert's brother Marcus. And Marcus soon became Frank's favorite.
1: Everybody, Marcus is everybody's favorite. Honestly,
2: (laughs) don't even get me going on all this jealousy I have for Marcus. Marcus is just (laughs) everyone's
1: favorite son. Yeah, just the other day I
2: was like, I wish I worked 80 hours a week.
3: God damn it. (laughs) Now this might tell you a little bit about child rearing. Because while Robert turned to crime around puberty, Marcus Stroud eventually became a vaudevillian stage magician called the Great Marcus. Oh. Underfathering
1: meets overfathering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you
2: just Robert, want to you you strike something right in the middle where they just become a
1: plumber. Or a doctor.
3: Like doctor. Like a, a
1: nice job. <laughs> yes. you know?
3: But Robert, he always liked talking shit on his little brother. He said that if he was in Marcus's shoes, he'd have made a million dollars.
1: Well, you know, we'll get into it. Talk about all the people that you would maybe call a self-made person, Robert Stroud, did take his own education in his hands. And if anybody was going to figure out a way to charm, because think about how much little boys, think oh about how boy. many little boys a magician has access to. If he was able to, to have <laughs> but that, the only thing Stroud would
2: have performed was making his penis. Dis- I'm not even going to say the joke. <laughs> but You can imagine if, how would he make his penis disappear around a series of children.
1: I can. I don't want to imagine. Finish that. the joke
2: yourselves, everybody. <laughs>
3: As far as Robert's father, Frank, went, he disappeared to California in 1909, abandoning his family, and he died from either a cerebral hemorrhage or simple starvation sometime around the dawn of the Great Depression. Oh, cool. It's a sad man's death. Yes, it is. Concerning Robert's behavior in school, he was impatient, angry, and egocentric. And he constantly talked about how much smarter he was than the other students and the teachers. But he could never quite manage to prove how much smarter he was than everyone else.
1: I'll tell you what I can do. I can, I can, I'll i tell you what I can do. I can go over there and I can tell you. Uh, fuck you. Right.
2: <laughs> Are we talking about the kid who grew up to be the magician or the guy no. who grew up to be
3: the prisoner? We're talking about the guy who grew up to be the birdman. okay. No, the great Marcus was doing f- just fine.
1: He was crushing. It. <laughs> he had love from a family, like just, he loves him, and they chose him, and he did very well. And you, you have to. I, I don't know what a magician's fueled by, because I actually really think I love that, magic, but I thought a magician would be way more fueled by spite and rage than anything well, I, else. I don't. Well, know. it's not
3: like. I, well, that's the thing. I don't think his upbringing was great. He Mm-mm. just didn't get physically beat like Mm. Robert Stroud did. He he still grew up in a pretty fucked up environment. It's, It's the same type of environment that, you know, Produces two people such as uh, yourselves. Well,
2: I remember that my father, every time, every time he was uh, not sparing the rod, he would say, I'm going to beat the magician out of you. And he did. But of course, we landed on sort of comedian broadcaster. Type. <laughs>
3: well, as such, Robert Stroud quit school at the age of 13 and was soon arrested for larceny. By 14, Robert Stroud was a full on pimp and as a result, spent his first of many stretches in various jails and prisons.
1: I could tell you one thing, or your girls, what we're going to do here. I'm going to teach you the ism. I'm going to teach you the street ways, girl. But I'm also going to talk about how Arnold's got a football-shaped head, and I absolutely love watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a 14-year-old pimp. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to get me cigarettes, though. And uh, I've been drinking so much grape juice today, I'm going to piss my pants.
3: Oh, my goodness. People <laughs> aged faster, I guess, back then. In 1907, though, Robert Stroud decided he'd had enough of Seattle, so he took a train to Alaska because, as he put it, Alaska had none of the social bonds that existed in the lower 48. That's
1: why people go to Alaska
3: still to this day. Yeah, yeah, but you know, there's just a
2: pleasant family in Alaska, just being like, "Can anyone good come here? <laughs>
0: He's like, we're just a
2: community. We have a whole bunch of stuff. Yes, our baker was a murderer. Yes, our
1: <laughs> our governor was a psychopath. But please, just normal people come to Alaska. Sorry, I think you're gonna need a 14 year old pimp, and I'm gonna slap you with the back of my hand. But also, I'm gonna ask you to please go into that store and reach the high. I need you to reach the high shelf for me because I need some of that baker's baker's glue. Of
3: course, it's baker's glue. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Now, according to Stroud, he did try going straight for just a bit by running a restaurant and shacking up with a woman named Kate Dulaney in Juno.
1: Man, you could do a lot at 14 years old. I yeah.
3: guess. But from what he claimed, every... Well, by this point, he's <laughs> like 17. But he's still... 17, 18. Okay. They're growing up fast. Growing yeah. up fast. Growing up very fast. But from what he claimed, everything fell apart in 1909 when Stroud was just 19 years old. That year... Robert and Kate became friends with a 23-year-old Russian bartender named FKF Dahmer, known to his friends as Charlie.
1: Yeah, because FKF is a hard name to say. Like that's hard to say. How did yeah. they stumble on Ch- FKF Dahmer, and they're like, "We'll call you Charlie." What about Fred? I just say it's a blackout <laughs> drunk nickname that you give somebody, and it sticks. Okay. i fuck it, fuck fuck it, fuck. Where's your name? Fuck fuck it, fuck, fuck,
3: fuck. Uh, Charlie. Oh, there we go. It sticks. Well, one night, Stroud, Kate Delaney, and Charlie Dahmer were having a little drink when Charlie got a little too handsy with Stroud's girl. Uh According to what Stroud told his biographer, Charlie Dahmer had given Kate Delaney a black eye, and Kate had begged Robert to kill the Russian bartender. Stroud said that his mother always told him that if a woman was good enough to sleep with, she's good enough to protect. So Stroud took a pistol and blew Charlie's brains out.
1: See, oh, my no. mom always said, um, every time you say can't, replace it with won't. That's and a also, good idea. And also, Henry Thomas, you eating yourself into the grave. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're feeding me, Mom. Well, that's. I
2: mean, she didn't say it like it was a negative thing. And every single time
1: I didn't finish what I was eating, you went, oh, you didn't like it? Like, it was a sentence.
2: Don't even get me going on the finish your plate rules that we grew
3: up with. That uh, was deeply traumatizing. Well, the version given in Birdman of Alcatraz, like, that obviously paints Robert Stroud as kind of a hero. He's coming to a woman's aid. He maybe handles it a little badly, but he's still doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Okay. But according to actual records concerning the crime, Stroud was actually Kate Delaney's pimp, and Charlie Dahmer owed Stroud... $10 for services rendered.
2: Now, in Alaskan money, that's like at least 15 clams.
1: That's 15 clams. <laughs> it's over 17 caribou hides. Oh, my God. And about
3: 13 salmon. <laughs> no matter what the motivation, though, the fact is that on January 18th, 1909, Stroud walked into Dahmer's shack with a gun. When I'm needing to do, though here hear their Dahmer's. I'm needing you to lay down flat because it's the only way I can shoot you. <laughs> because
1: he's a kid. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, you for me. This is really just like a little rascal's dribble X. Like this is just. Like, and they weren't particularly
1: good kids either. No, honestly, if him and Panzerum had met up as boys, oh my they, God. America oh. would have been on fire. It
2: would
3: have been like the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. It would have been the greatest tag team in the history of the world. Well, we'll actually get into Panzerum and Stroud later on in this episode because they do cross paths. Oh. Now, Dahmer was laying down when Stroud entered. So Stroud fired a bullet that entered Dahmer's head above the left ear and exited through Dahmer's abdomen. Stroud then walked into a police station and simply said, I shot a man. Now, I thought that it, was called the presidential. It is one of the
1: <laughs> weirdest ways I've heard a man get shot to death. Where he put, so the man was sleeping horizontal mm-hmm. and then he put the the gun like the long way and it's just such a weird way to shoot somebody instead of shoot them just through the front like i would shoot a guy through the forehead when i do this i would shoot a guy in the forehead uh-huh. right and th- because that's simple the idea of lining up the gun on the on the horizontal of the head to shoot it out through the top it's such a weird idea yeah.
3: well one of the arguments uh that was made at his trial was that uh, Stroud pistol whipped Charlie Dahmer, and then when he did that, the gun went off, and it went ping-pang-pong, and then went straight into his head. And JFK actually, magic
2: bullet? And they actually
3: have the magic <laughs> bullet theory. Wow, that's a, that's amazing. <laughs> now, Stroud, it seems like he did try to get out of the charges, but when Kate Delaney actually testified against Stroud to escape a prostitution arrest, Stroud subsequently pled guilty to manslaughter. Mm. Now, Stroud was only sentenced to 12 years for the murder of Charlie Dahmer, but within a relatively short period of time, he would begin a pattern of actions that would keep him in prison for the rest of his life. Wow.
0: Life from your grave.
1: The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. Ow, 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 ow. That was your dog saying, "Thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog." You're gonna learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay! Every month, Bark Box designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers! My dogs love their toys selectively. But Barkbox sends good little ones for the little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats. And oh, they love their life and they love the they love what Barkbox brings. Because Barkbox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep. To get your free upgrade, go to Barkbox.com/slash L-E-F <laughs> T.
3: His first prison was the U.S. Penitentiary at McNeil Island in Washington, which was only the third federal prison built in this country. Here, Stroud mm. spent 15 hours a day in a cell four feet wide, nine feet long, and seven and a half feet high.
1: And I tell you what, back then, we liked it. That's how we liked it. We didn't like walking around. You got to keep it self. I'll tell yep. you what, I, I wouldn't even accept a cell unless it's three feet wide,
2: four <laughs> feet sure. wide, and on
1: one foot. Hi. Like a coffin. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, I'm talking more like a shoebox. Oh, okay. I actually really would prefer to crawl up. It's like, like a, some pair of Air Maxes.
0: I love that. <laughs> so,
1: Marcus, you mentioned there's three
2: federal prisons
1: at this time. Mm-hmm. So, I guess this this
2: is before we franchised
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) this is before we realized like we're
2: not in the restaurant business
3: we're in the land business (laughs) yeah we're not in the prison business we're in the prisoner business Uh, so you motherfuckers get those prisoners in as many prisons as possible interesting
1: looking outward has a fantastic run-up of the history of federal prisons i don't know what is legit or what's not but it's fascinating i did i did it's a very enjoyable read Yeah.
3: yeah Now, later on in his life, Stroud would recall his early years at McNeil Island with an almost nostalgic tone. He said that while it was certainly an old dungeon type prison, it was still a place where a man served his time. And that was that. And he counted all sorts of dips, fences, hopheads, moochers, and yeggs among his friends. Uh-oh. That's also what Looking Outward has as the
1: beautiful breakdowns of his classes of criminal like who lives in jail and who doesn't live in jail and who's good in jail and who's not may it, i it, ask uh what's a dip what would be <laughs> what would be that would that be the person that brings the queso or is that someone who
2: has a, <laughs> a
1: has a cleft asshole like what is that why all right this is my guess marcus is looking it up my guess is a dip is someone that is addicted to opium like it, it's a it's like a junkie ah. old school that's a hophead hophead is an old school junkie or like to me hophead's old school meth head dip is old school like morphium? I
3: got no. I I can't find like the old timey prison okay. lingo. I would imagine a dip is like a pickpocket or a thief or something like that because you're dipping in, uh, dip, or like a burglar or something like that. It's I a guy
2: that can.
1: A- I heard it's a guy that
3: could suck dick underwater. <laughs> that could also be
2: the good point of a dip, or a guy who lays horizontal on the table, <laughs> has a little bit of dookie, and then people can just kind of dip your chip in there. Hmm. I don't know what people are eating, and I don't even know why I'm talking <laughs> right now. <laughs>
3: Well, at McNeil, convicts moved in lockstep using a system affectionately called nuts to butts (laughs) that was his other his other book oh i love nuts to butts it was all about
1: car repair
2: interestingly enough and the men who fuck
1: while repairing cars
3: (laughs) and everyone except the wealthy prisoners and the snitches did hard labor by breaking rocks or working the various industrial jobs available all the snitches and the wealthy people they all worked in the tailor shop okay Silence was also the standard at McNeil, as it would later be at Alcatraz. Convicts could whisper to each other, but most of them learned how to either talk out of the side of their mouths or use hand signals, lest they receive the displeasure of the guards. You're telling me to go fuck myself?
1: No, you're telling you want me to go fuck myself in front of you. Okay. Okay.
3: That's fantastic.
2: I watched a uh, fantastic prisoner doc. I'm forgetting on the name now, but it was about solitary confinement and uh, people in the man was telling the story in solitary. He said he did not hear a word for 20 years. Uh,
1: we'll get into that with Robert uh, Stroud. Just unbelievable. Same, it's just very scary. The amount of time he also spent in solitary, it uh, makes you something different.
3: Yes, it yeah. does. As far as the displeasure of the guards went, they carried either police belly clubs or short buckshot filled leather sacks. But just as it was in our Carl Panzram series mcneil also had torture rooms for more specific thrashings mm.
1: i was also reading about how uh various institutions for reformation houses for the young at the time the big thing to brag about is if you could get yourself an electric spanking machine which was a not is a it bad, fun it sounds kind of fun it sounds very um rickety yeah it sounds like <laughs> it sounds
2: like the new like robin thick song electric <laughs> electric spanking machines and people are like
3: i don't know it doesn't Sound good. Well, prisoners were spanked with knotted boards. They were fitted with 12-pound balls and chains. Which, you know, that actually 12 pounds is not too bad because I remember from the Carl Panzram <laughs> series, he used to have to carry around a Fifty pound ball and chain. They in his prison. They called it earning the baby. Oh my god! Remember correctly.
2: And of course, you guys are carrying around a couple of ball and chains yourself. You (laughs) married baskets. (laughs) Single life. Where are my dogs? Where are my (laughs) dogs? You can just see Albert Fish knocking on the door of this torture chamber, just being like, Uh, "May I come back in? I have a receipt uh, to come back in. I (laughs) have a gift certificate."
3: Well, they also had water slowly drip down their throats. They were chained to bars while standing up for hours at a time, or they were blasted in the face with a hose until they passed out. And if anyone got hurt during these punishments or if anyone got hurt at all, it was the convicts who performed the medical procedures on each other. Oh, my goodness. Or so Robert Stroud claims. I don't think it's that far from
1: the truth. I think, yeah. it's,
3: I think it's part. I think it's about halfway through. I do believe that if an inmate had a toothache, the tooth was pulled using forceps made in the prison blacksmith shop. I think I would rather go to Dr. Satan from House of a Thousand Corpses oh, yeah. than <laughs> this
1: prison hospital. That, that's actually why I think his books actually they were clamped down upon, besides just the rampant. Uh, depictions of gay sex part of it had to do with they thought that it would cause a lot of doubt in the federal prison system because he Mm -hmm. did talk about all of this shit that happened to him while in prison and so they did not let it go for no reason
2: no and i watch a lot of youtube personalities who have been in prison and sadly not that much has changed
3: not really the only thing that i don't really believe is when Stroud claimed that he had an operation done on the tendons in his hands by a fellow inmate uh, without, aesthetic, without anesthetic or uh, narcotics.
1: It sounds like it's probably a thing he literally asked for.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But well, while Stroud had entered prison as an illiterate, he was a quick study, and within a few years, Stroud had somehow come across a book by who else but a cultist, Madame Helena Blavatsky. Yeah. And Stroud was soon a devoted theosophist.
1: He's an interesting cat in this way because the theosophy that he, he reason why he got way into theosophy is that he had this immediate impulse of like, my body is caught, but I want my brain to be free. Right. And Theosophy spoke directly to that, where he he said that he could try, he was trying to tra- train himself to astral project, to leave the prison and go have sex with boys on the next plane. Oh God, you were so
2: close <laughs> to making it something good. It almost sounded like something in, in like some Marvel universe, but uh, and then it turns into disgusting yeah. content.
3: But Robert wasn't really a good student. I mean, he lacked discipline, and he skipped over whatever he didn't want to learn, which is something I can't really blame him for when it comes to studying theosophy. It's It's a a lot. It's a lot. Really, Robert just learned enough theosophy to dominate other people in arguments. And if you challenged his theosophical beliefs, Robert Stroud became very angry and very dangerous very quickly
1: now i also wonder hmm. if it's if it's just prison in general that makes you extra aggressive or mm-hmm. it just kind of revealed who he really was robert stroud would escalate to physical violence at the drop of a hat he and yeah. he was a very tall man he was actually a very big man and he would fuck like he would
3: drop bows all thought, the time i thought six, robert stroud was like my size was no like, like, from foot, what I like 140. read 140
2: I thought he was very tall. I believe mm. he was about 6'3". Mm. That's what they were saying. Let me find out! That's what they were saying <laughs> on the Wikipedia. Let but me you see know, the Wikipedia entry. It's interesting, though, because you talk about how he jumped to anger and violence. In prison, that's a rational response.
1: That's sort of what you have to do
0: to yes. survive. And so it was wasn't sick like
2: sick. he was acting irrational for the no. circumstance. You kind of just have
1: to do that. Yeah, that's I think there. that's what I was kind of saying. It's like, is it just the environment where if you don't fight, if you don't show that you're willing to fight and take it to the right. end? You
3: get rolled. Yes. Well, I think the fact that he shot a man in the head because he owed him ten dollars shows you that he's a little bit more of like just kind of a a short fuse type of character yes and then uh, he's
1: also a wackadoo in the fact that he is impenetra he's penetratingly honest because that's what he kept saying he was like he couldn't live with like his cr- not that he couldn't live with his crime it's almost he had to tell people immediately like i did this crime like he walked mm-hmm. him just walking into a police station being like i shot a man i go to jail for this and they're yeah, like okay.
3: okay it sounds like you want it well that's interesting yeah. Now, as far as the first incident that got Robert Stroud's prison sentence extended goes, the story in Birdman of Alcatraz paints it as an almost Robin Hood type situation in which a man sees injustice and bucks the system for the benefit of others. According to Birdman of Alcatraz, Stroud was working in the kitchen two years into his 12-year sentence when he began sneaking food out to his cellmate just to be a nice guy. Another prisoner snitched, and a terrible set of circumstances led to Stroud stabbing the inmate multiple times with a shiv.
2: I mean, just let the guy take a little food out of the damn That's uh, the movie. A uh, kitchen that's, that, that, that is
3: the that, movie. That's the movie. According okay. to the trial, which sounds a hell of a lot in this situation sounds a hell of a lot more plausible. Stroud was working with an orderly named Adolf Henry to sell morphine to other prisoners. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and Adolf snitched on Stroud after he quote unquote got sore about something, which resulted in a stabbing. I see. And yet another version is that Straub thought he was going to be transferred to another prison and wanted to attempt an escape. So he asked Adolf for drugs to use his, quote, knockout drops against the U.S. Marshals in charge of the transfer, which again, snitch, then stab.
1: Because they very often Mm. use the, they would flip prisoners all the time, which I actually think is highly common still, like the idea of you pit them against each other. You make sure that you give a lot of allowances to people that were snitches, which is how people got jobs, like the high profile jobs in these prisons at the time, especially. I don't know as much now, but it's like, that's how they got uh, the kitchen jobs, which was like the sweet job to get or something like the tailor job, which was the soft job. I mean, of course,
2: nowadays, uh, protective custody is solitary confinement and oftentimes yeah. uh, a snitch will go
3: into that situation, which is a fate similar to the people who commit atrocities in prison. Mm hmm. But no matter the real motivation, the end result was that Robert Stroud stabbed Adolf Henry with a shank seven times in the back, shoulder, upper arm and buttocks, Ooh. all while chasing him down a hallway.
0: snick, 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 oh, snick, 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 You can see
3: that scene play out <laughs> right in front of your eyes. Yeah. Thankfully though Stroud was unsuccessful in the murder attempt which he later said was his only point of regret because as the other thing about Stroud is that he never had remorse for anything he ever did. I mean, it was straight psychopathic personality where, you know, everything is everyone else's fault. I stabbed that guy because he snitched on me. So therefore, it is his fault that he got stabbed. Oh,
1: yeah, and he's of the Panzeram School, of the uh, I wish the whole world had a neck so I could wrap my hands around it. I really think that Robert Stroud, because of the lack of affection, maybe a little bit, and also his natural chemistry, he viewed the world as a very harsh place where you kill or be killed and so he knew that you have to essentially you have to be willing to quote-unquote defend yourself which i think a lot of times he would um do uh, preliminary offensives Mm -hmm. against people that he said was defensive and that would that would allow him but you had to go all the way in order for it to count
2: yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely a little bit so it seems like his nature was uh was a little violent a little bit of nurture would have gone a long way
3: yeah well, for the crime, Stroud was sentenced to six more months in prison and was transferred to the penitentiary at Leavenworth, Kansas, in 1912. Crash! Yeah, <laughs> and Leavenworth was it would it eventually became like kind of the it was the last stop for dangerous prisoners before they got sent to Alcatraz. Okay. Now, as far as privileges at Leavenworth went, they actually had quite a few more than what Strad was used to in McNeil. The warden at the time was Thomas Morgan, and he allowed lady singers, tango dancers, and pianists to entertain, while convicts were actually allowed to publish their own newspaper. Man, I would love to read the opinion section.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sure there was a a lot of accurate descriptions about the loaf (laughs) how horrible it was to
3: eat every gd day but despite the privileges stroud hated warden morgan immediately upon arrival calling him a cheap grafton psalm singing hypocrite whom stroud was planning to kill the first chance he got stroud also hated john purcell the captain of the guards and wrote that he once quote saved the captain's life by not stabbing him with a 10 inch length of sharpened steel when Purcell threatened him with a blackjack. That's so huge.
2: Can, can he, I get some fucking credit for not killing you today? Yeah. I mean, no, honestly, can I get some credit. Where is my credit for not killing all three of you guys over some period of time? God. or All two of you. I,
1: we, should, I, we should give him credit. We have we to should. actually thank him for not killing us. Good job. Up. Thank you. Way Kessel. to go. You're so welcome,
2: guys. This is all I wanted. And now, I, as you see me put my knife back, now I'm going to stop licking my gun, drop the bullets out of my magnum.
3: Now, Stroud did get in trouble a few times in the beginning for talking and laughing, and he was thrown in a solitary confinement for making a hacksaw blade as well as possessing a hammer and chisel. I
1: don't know why you're mad. These are all just implements for me to hurt people and escape.
3: (laughs) I don't really understand
1: why everyone's so upset, because this is a man's natural inclination to hurt and to escape. Very
3: true. But for the most part, Stroud continued studying and he began painting and even got good enough at painting where a portrait he painted of the Queen of Prussia ended up hanging in the public library at Sabitha, Kansas. Uh, Let's not talk too much. I think I have a
1: painting up at the library in Palm Harbor, Florida.
3: <laughs> however stroud's streak of good behavior ended in 1916 with a visit from his little brother the great marcus Kazam!
1: <laughs> it's me brother always ready for a little tricksy oh yeah guess the god guess the god guess god oh this man is stabbing me in the belly for Trixies. you know i
2: i believe in massive prison reform you know that but the one thing if i was a warden i would demand no magicians. Are you kidding me? They can make a, I saw an elephant disappear when I was a kid. And that wasn't a camera trick. That really happened. Kazoo, See, the magicians kazoo? can make the whole prison disappear.
1: Kazoo, kazee, I have a chisel up my ass.
3: Oh my God. Who let the magician in here with the gaping butt? Now, the great Marcus had dropped by the prison for a surprise visit, but, had been <laughs> <laughs> but, Always. He, but he'd been turned away because it was a non-visiting day.
1: Mm, back to my magic castle I go.
3: <laughs> I'm really? I'm annoyed with your uh, interpretation of magicians. But in the book and the movie, the great Marcus is switched with Robert Stroud's mother, because Robert Stroud's mother tends to tug on the heartstrings a little more than a magician running a long overdue errand. No one wants a magician to visit.
1: <laughs> That's true. I saw the look at Harrison Ford's face when he would had to deal with David Blaine. <laughs> and he was like, "Get the get the fuck out of my house.
3: <laughs> but you do have to deal with it. Now, Stroud didn't hear that his brother had been denied entry until the next day. But Stroud, who was prone to violent, undeserved bouts of anger he decided to even the score. Carrying a five-inch blade in his pocket, Stroud walked up to a guard named Andrew Turner and started talking, which was a big no-no in Leavenworth. Not hey, supposed no. to talk to the guards at all. Hey there, Turner,
1: did you see that new flick over there? Or did you see that movie? I didn't. So, uh, I don't know what we. I can even talk to you about. Honestly, have you ever uh, been in a cell for a long time? Uh, I, uh,
2: I love that new movie, uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, it turns
1: out um streetcar is not even named desire there's not even a streetcar in there
3: <laughs> well, no one heard most of the conversation but suddenly everyone heard stroud say quote what are you going to do shoot me and with that turner reached for his club and at the same time stroud reached for his knife mm. tragically though stroud was much faster and with lightning quick speed and precision he plunged the blade directly into Turner's heart killing him in less than a minute
2: Rosebud was the (laughs) slant! He spoiled that movie for me I didn't get a chance to
3: see it Turner was pronounced dead on the scene and Stroud was sent to solitary and to further dispel the myth of the sensitive bird man Stroud seemed almost proud of what he'd done and writing about the murder in a letter to his father. This is what he wrote.
1: The guard took sick and died all of a sudden. He died of heart trouble. I guess you'd call it a puncture of the heart. Anyways, there was a knife hole in it.
2: (laughs) This guy is the original writer for Mad Magazine. That is just (laughs) very good. Was he well-respected by the fellow inmates? Uh, at this moment, I think moment, he though, was a pain in him, the ass. He was a pain for in the everyone. Ass. So everyone's yeah. like, okay,
3: okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't like uh, considered dangerous or anything like that. He was just he was very obnoxious. He was a loud mouth, and he would get angry uh, very, very, very quickly.
1: Okay. Yeah, man. He stabbed two people in jail. He did worse crimes. in In jail than he did outside of jail. So there's something I feel like when you're around this dude, I would like to think that most people in prison are just trying to serve their time and get the fuck out of there. And they don't want to deal with somebody who takes everything to a fucking 11 every single time. Even though it feels like there's a lot more of those individuals in prison than (laughs) necessary. I mean, then even in an audition room, which is the second most of that instant where those people, you don't know what an actor will
2: do. I would never want to meet a prison lifer in prison and i would never want to meet a professional background uh, actor in an audition (laughs) because they will kill you to be in the background of of,
1: of it's
3: scary rock they will murder you now since stroud had killed the guard in front of so many people his lawyer figured his only chance was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity So, to make Stroud sound as crazy as possible, his lawyer instructed him to go on the stand and try his best to explain Theosophy. So he had to do what I had to do during the HPB episodes. (laughs) (laughs) No, Theosophy still isn't widely known, and if I'm being honest, I'd have a hard time explaining Theosophy right now, despite the fact that we did a three-part series on Madame Blavatsky just last summer. So, suffice to say, when Stroud was asked to explain it to a jury in 1916, he came off sounding like an absolute fucking lunatic.
1: I don't know if you're all ready for the truth. It's too real for you to understand. Too real for to be read. Okay. <laughs> and I don't think you can handle it because your shit's just about to get blown wide open. You're not real, bro.
3: All right. When asked what influences were on his mind at that moment concerning theosophy, Stroud said, and this is a direct quote, he said, Wait, do you mean at this moment? <laughs> at this moment, sir, at this oh, okay. moment, on the stand, <laughs> as you are thinking and talking to us, just what like sort of right influences now. are on you right now, this okay. moment? Because I have notes. You know what, sir? I believe that you need to express yourself in a way that you believe makes this belief real to us. All right. Well, you asked for it. The master of Agura.
1: There is a theory. Masters that exist in the high plane of existence and very seldom manifest themselves on the physical plane, but they take vast parts in the affairs of the physical plane, and their services are for the betterment of mankind. You just
2: cut to one juror from Sonoma, a white lady grabbing her crystals, crying, and then the defense attorney is just like, we got one. That's all we needed was one.
1: And that's why I have sex with little boys. God damn it.
3: In addition to that, the lawyer also had a psychiatrist testify that Stroud was a part of a, quote, degenerative class that suffered from moral insanity. And another psychiatrist declared that Stroud's testicles, being of course soft and atrophied with pronounced veins, were the real source of his mental troubles.
1: Look how weak my balls are! <laughs> <laughs> look at, my a you know, look at we- how weak and gray my balls are! And you can say, oh, did that man have a chance in this life? This was an actual <laughs> medical doctor who blamed all of the look murders my on my his balls! <laughs> look at him! Yeah. I dare you, I dare you to see my future in my balls. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think that's why I did so well, because of how high and pink my balls
3: are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not only given this diagnosis, he had to actually feel Robert Stroud's balls to give this diagnosis. All
1: right, all right, okay, let me do, all right, let me just, let me get one look at this, this uh, testicular bag here. This is testicular, testicular luggage. Okay, well, <laughs> yes, it is very, uh, these are sad. he's all definitely thinner than the skin is thinner than i'd like and the ball the essential ball niche of it is smaller than i'd like they might as well call in (laughs) sylvester stallone's mom and have her do a butthole reading (laughs) what is that that is not medical science it's fun though that it was in a court i guess wait sylvester stallone's mom She does the butthole readings. She does butthole
2: readings. She does. It's called. (laughs) It's it's not astrology, but it's literally like rumpology.
3: It's called rumpology. rumpology.
2: (laughs) She literally does it. Check it out next time. Next next time
3: you're on the Internet. I remember a way back from a page seven. Back when I used to do page seven. I do remember a rumpology episode. Now it's all coming back to me. She can tell a
1: lot by the the curvature of your buttock and also just how brown the inside of your butthole is. Uh,
3: She'll tell you how long you're going to live. Huh. that's That's interesting. I guess it says more about how well you wipe or how much you poop or, you know, that's all I know. is I could just see like her opening your
1: butt cheeks to look at your butthole and just like seeing like the end war, like the final (laughs) war,
2: World War Three. I don't know. I think Marcus's asshole is like one of those bleeding statues in Central
3: America where they just would. It's miracles. It It could be. Stigmatic. Yeah. You,
2: you have the stigma you know, of the
3: butthole. <laughs> yeah, you know when my asshole starts bleeding, a political figure will be assassinated this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Could you get that thing bleeding every day, please? I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> no, of course. None of these arguments even came close to working, so Robert Stroud was sentenced to death for the murder of a prison guard. Oh. It is, however, at this point in Stroud's life that his mother came back into the picture in a big way.
1: I knew his balls were too small. They came out of me. <laughs> oh,
3: he came out balls first. Oh. Oh, that's Ed Larson. <laughs> oh, that would be painful. Oh, my gosh. Where she started a campaign to get her son's death sentence commuted, and she even wrote to President Woodrow Wilson to argue that there was a long streak of insanity in their family, so therefore execution was a cruel punishment for such a person as her son. She actually went straight to Mrs. Wilson, his wife,
1: and she was like, as hmm. a mother to a mother, will you please save my son's life? And this is back in the day when I guess this shit could work. I mean, it worked.
2: I mean, recently, look at uh,
3: Kim Kim Carr, Kim Kardashian. Mm -hmm. And her aunt out of prison. Yeah. And I guess it happened with uh, Carla Faye Tucker when George oh, wow. Bush commuted her death sentence. Yeah. Oh.
2: It's amazing. Sometimes you realize that you just have a connection to the governor's office and it really could just work like that. Almost like it's all completely arbitrary and all about <laughs> having just a small connection to power. Yeah. It's like you
1: get on the phone in the DMV and you're like, just change my address on the computer. So <laughs> sure. They don't do it. You have to fill out all these forms to be like, just change the address on the computer
2: you're actually just gonna have to stop screaming sir
1: you have (laughs) all of the power in the computer,
2: You're just a civil servant. You.
1: All you have to just do civil servant. is delete the address and put in my new address.
2: That's where they put Henry on speakerphone and they all get
3: around and laugh as they're on mute. <laughs> yes, Travis, can we please name this episode? What's the deal with the DMV? <laughs>
1: Don't worry, Don't bust it. We have to save
2: it for the live show.
3: <laughs> do any gas pumps work in this country? I am nailing it.
0: Live from your grave.
3: Correct. Texas Pete. Sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at texaspeete.com
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest and... Uh... My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit com slash pod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp!
3: H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Hey! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, No, it seems as if Robert Stroud's master manipulations were probably learned from his mother, because when she wrote to President Wilson's wife, she made sure to say that she'd paid for all of her son's defense with nothing more than her needlework. And it would be a shame if all that went to waste.
1: Cut to her with like 25 Thai girls all doing the needlework for <laughs> oh. in true American fashion. No.
3: And so President Wilson signed an order commuting Stroud's death sentence, and Stroud was oh. given life in prison instead. However, Stroud had still killed a prison guard. So instead of just life in prison, Robert Stroud was sentenced to life in solitary confinement at oh the age gosh. of 27. So Woodrow Wilson literally was like, We'll commute the death
2: sentence and we'll give him something far, far worse. (laughs) A life buried basically
3: in a tomb
1: yeah Yeah. and i wonder if they thought in some ways that it protects you from the guards but at the same time i feel like then all you have is guards yeah
3: no it was just punishment i mean really what it was is that you know woodrow wilson he signed the order and then he went back to i don't know fuck around with the league of nations or something and since he had forgotten all about it the judge said all right it's cool so i don't get to kill him solitary confinement and by that point uh, fucking woodrow wilson had long since moved on Mm mm-hmm Now, segregation at Leavenworth was just as bad as it was anywhere else. The cells were dingy and poorly lit, and any man in isolation was denied a job and cafeteria privileges. And there were certainly no more lady singers for anyone.
1: Unless a guy had got put on a a mop head as a wig and danced (laughs) around.
3: Well, that could be a good performance as well. But it's here in the segregation wing of Leavenworth Penitentiary that the Birdman of Alcatraz was born. Even though at first he was the Birdman of Leavenworth. Okay. From what Robert Stroud claimed, he was out in the yard in 1920 when he found a couple of baby swallows who had fallen out of their nest. Now the book Birdman of Alcatraz and the movie wants you to believe that Stroud saved them out of the goodness of his heart. But most likely he was just looking for something to fucking do. So, Stroud somehow smuggled the sparrows into his cell and raised them himself. That's you know, cute as hell. I'm actually going to, you know, this is the point of all the
2: series where I say good for him.
3: <laughs> good yeah. for him. Because even if he did do it for selfish reasons, those
2: little
1: swallows are happy. I yeah. mean,
2: maybe not at all. I mean, yeah. we'll <laughs> <find> <laughs> out that, now that I realize that he actually kind of abducted
3: them from a beautiful outside world and put them into a cell. But nonetheless. Yeah. Now, Stroud knew absolutely nothing about birds. But when one bird died, and Stroud procured some dirt from a guard for the other bird to eat, the second bird almost miraculously recovered. Oh, my yeah, because he—the bird was just like pecking at the
1: ground at this concrete, oh. looking for dirt. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this works. It's kind of like how dogs eat grass, and yeah. I don't know why. I know the, i don't it's digestion know digestion or something. I think. To, but how
3: does the dog know? They just know. Yep, dogs just know. Well, extrapolating from this, Stroud deduced that soil was vital to the bird's health. And so began Robert Stroud's decades of anecdotal bird research. <laughs> now, that sparrow flew away or it died. It's unclear what happened to the sparrow. But Stroud managed a lucky break concerning more birds when it came to prison supervision. Start counting birds now. <laughs> OK, I think I'm on six. I think we've said mm-hmm. birds six mm-hmm. times or seven times. By 1920, the warden of Leavenworth was a former reporter named Billy Biddle who had a flair and a respect for showmanship. He was informed of Stroud's bird talents, and he approved Stroud's ownership of a solitary canary and the construction of a canary cage. Do you think that this is just PR, That this type of thing? That's what I always weird, being
1: like, why did these guys, like, want, like character prisoners
3: i think it's boredom partly yeah uh, it's mm-hmm. like and i in prison i think it seems like prison in like 1920 wasn't quite as hellish as prison is now that it's it not definitely
1: like, got to ugh, the time period i don't seemed know. To go like this up and yeah. down right Where- i think it was a different kind of hellish
2: different yeah kind. yeah because they still
1: had group spankings and you get sprayed in the hose of the mouth until you fall asleep but that's right. a, we, we don't necessarily do that now but well, we will put you in solitary confinement right i don't know there's some pretty horrific
3: tales coming out from the modern prison system well, this is in years, uh, like, years of, like, somewhat prison reform. Like, remember during our Carl Panzram series? Like, Panzram yes. was on a fucking softball team.
1: Yeah, like, that's right. They, like, they let like, him out. <laughs> I think when they let him out for the day and then let him yeah. come back.
3: Yeah, there were, there were people in the prison system that were all about reform at this time, in this time and place. And, like, in Billy Biddle, I think was one of those people. But I think he also just liked having somebody around who did something fun. You, you know, mentioned- it brings up the day. You mentioned Billy Biddle as a journalist. What did he cover, like competitive corn eating? What does Billy
2: Biddle
1: cover? Like, what is his beat? It sounds like had gnome racing.
2: Yeah, gnome racing. <laughs> and then we killed all the gnomes, and I have no more beat. Time to get into the prison system. I don't run.
1: I just have sex with whatever I can get my little hands Terry, on. Terry, <laughs> get out of here, Terry.
3: You're problematic, Terry. Well, I mean, and it was a bit of PR on Billy Biddle's part, because when Biddle gave tours of the prison, he always ended the tour with a stop at Stroud's cell. Because then Stroud could show visitors all the little bird tricks that he taught the birds, and that tended to give visitors the impression that maybe prison wasn't so bad after all.
2: Is prison Latin for human zoo? like, this just, if you're in prison, you're like, I guess, I guess at least someone's visiting you. No, they are,
1: this here, this is Terry Johnson. He can suck his own dick. (laughs) Uh, 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 uh. He's the human question mark. Well, by
3: 1922, the entire prison staff had become fascinated by Stroud's birds. And the more fascinated they became, the more birds Stroud got. And eventually, Stroud was given alcohol and a blowtorch. To cook bird food, and he began experimenting with different formulas of bird seed, which he then sold to various bird journals. But he's just making shit
1: up. Yeah.
3: It's like it's he's just—it's free. Let's call it freestyle science. He's free just, he biology. thinks the
1: birds seen if they eat it or if they die, and then the people are like, <laughs> "Did they die?" And he's just like, "Not all the way. I'm like, "All right, <laughs> we'll take five bags <laughs> of it." Jeez, they gave him a blowtorch.
0: <laughs> they gave oh him a lot God. of shit, and I
1: feel like there there is a little bit of the chasing the positive validation in one area where he is happy that he he's serving some quote unquote function, sure. but also. He is a... There's a selfish tinge to it as well because yeah. he's getting all of these extra privileges because he does this cute thing with birds.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Stroud then began breeding different types of birds and selling them through mail order. He bred the red-hooded siskin. He bred uh-huh. the fancy pedigreed glue roller. You know what's Ooh. nice
1: about birds is they always stay young. Even when they're <laughs> old, they look young and tight.
3: That is true. <laughs> but with so many birds... Came so many bird droppings. Mm. Stroud's Gosh. cell was soon filled with hundreds of birds, and oh. every inch of Stroud's being was permeated with the smell of bird shit, combined with Robert Stroud's two pack a day smoking habit. Mm, I yummy, got, I yummy, got, yum. I was walking under
2: the bridge <laughs> uh, in in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, on Metropolitan Avenue, on on my way to Skinny Dennis. If that's open, please support that bar. Um and a bird shat on me and I just had to throw the shirt away.
1: Oh yeah, it smells like <laughs> You're it not reeks. getting pigeon shit off of you. No no, it, it smells like ammonia and poison. Yes, yeah.
3: yeah. There was actually so much bird shit that the birds started getting sick and dying Ugh. from bacterial overgrowth.
1: So the birds were looking at him, and being like, "You disgusting animal, dude! You gotta <laughs> clean this up." It became almost like a, like he was hoarding birds
3: interesting yeah Yeah. so stroud consulted a book from 1869 called canary birds to see if he could find a solution in this book well and the thing that i wonder about robert stroud is that you know we all we are talking about like oh there's so much bird shit here where was he gonna put the bird shit it's not like he could just throw it out of the cell or it's not like the guards were willing to like haul away mounds and mounds of bird shit every single day
2: it's well as we know from aceman as we know from Ace Ventura, Guado. He could make a uh, cool little... He could honestly sculpt with it. He could. Yeah, yeah,
1: He can make little things out of Guado's face. But you know what I think... Or Guano, I think. Guano. Straight up, he's in solitary. So I don't think he... uh, You'll be surprised the smells you can get used to. So there's no window. Oh, I can't even imagine. So he's in solitary dealing with all of these birds. I think uh, what we'll get to is that he has so few human eyes on him mm. at any given time. So you kind of just adjust to whatever your disgusting level of yeah, comfort is. Yeah,
3: of course. Yeah. Well, in the book, Canary Birds. Author Mary Wood gave some of the dumbest possible cures, half <laughs> guesses like giving canary sponge cake soaked in sherry to prevent disease, and she also <laughs> uh, and she also suggested a diet of spiders mixed with drinking water marinated by rusty nails.
1: I, what is oh. even happening? What are we feeding these canaries?
3: <laughs> In another off-kilter cure, she advised that when the gland that secretes oil into a bird's feathers, you know, the, the thing that you know protects their feathers when it rains, if that gets clogged, one should pry it open with a needle and apply uh. sugar and unsalted butter. What are we this, doing, making cookies? This, I however, does kill the bird.
2: Yeah, it seems very torturous. These uh, well, these she remedies. admitted that it
3: killed the bird. You know, she oh. said it, she said it kills the bird the next molting season. But why then? Um, what's the point? You're just I, killing the bird. I don't. You know. get the bird for a little longer because it dies when it gets clogged up. But Jeez. if you want, if you want to extend the bird's life by torturing the bird, that is an option. Okay. Good. <laughs> so finding nothing of use there, Stroud consulted a book from 1888 called Canaries and Cage Birds, which recommended rock candy for a lost singing voice. And when all else failed, opium usually cured whatever was ailing the canary.
1: You just get the bird high as fuck.
3: Yeah, honestly, it probably would work. I mean, mm-hmm. it does help a lot of things. Yeah, it can kill you, though. Well, bereft of any sort of literature that might help him, Stroud lost 100 of his 160 birds to a disease called septic fever, and he performed autopsies on each dead bird using nothing but his hands to pry open the corpses. Let
1: me just get in there. They've got to stop in these canaries. <laughs>
2: So he's living like Michael Myers from Halloween, but if he wasn't into making masks, but was into doing autopsies on birds and the guards would just walk by and be like another perfect reformed prisoner. That's how they (laughs) kind of it. Am I insane? They gave, it gave him
1: quote unquote something to do. And it was this curiosity. And I guess eventually you just get used to the smell. Maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but did he discover anything of use when it
2: comes to birds? That's what I'm about to get into. All
3: right. Yeah, since Stroud had nothing to do but spend all his time focusing on canaries, he developed his own bird medicines. He had Stroud specific, Stroud's avian antiseptic, Stroud salts number one, and Stroud's effervescent bird salts. What? <laughs> what is it? What is a bird salt? I don't know what a bird salt is. No what idea it what it do? any of that salt? stuff it's is. It's salt you give a bird. You put bird. What? You put salt in the bird's water, or he you put it in just- its food.
2: Uh, again just he should have made little trinkets out of the bird shit this is yeah. bird
3: e-juice i'm
1: looking up this is just nicotine vape
2: oh my god <laughs> this is, oh, all, all right. of this is
1: bird salts is apparently a, hef, a brand oh. of nicotine vape well that's fantastic
3: <laughs> now robert stroud was certainly no scientist But amazingly, he did accidentally create bird medicine that functioned as a basic antiseptic in a time when neither antiseptics nor antibiotics were fully understood. So some of his medicines did produce results. Okay. And as a result, Stroud was able to create an entire business selling birds, bird medicine, and bird feed all from his cell in the segregation wing at Leavenworth prison. Wow. Between 1928 and 1931, Stroud received over 100 letters from fellow bird lovers and was even given unlimited writing privileges and his own typewriter. By Stroud's claims, he had anywhere from $400 to $1,000 worth of birds in his cell at any given time. And over the course of a year, Stroud made, by his claims, around eight thousand dollars a year with his burgeoning bird business oh my into and that's 1920 money in today's money that's about a hundred thousand dollars holy crap shit. he's making
2: that from solitary <laughs> Yo, oh, yeah so he says or so, he, so says. he said
3: okay however i mean at the very least he made i would imagine he made a couple thousand dollars a year doing bird business it's phenomenal he's that's, making his bird money yes yeah. however the changing socio-political landscape of America would have a direct impact on Stroud's venture, right when it was becoming a great success. I am so sorry, guys, but I totally missed an opportunity for a fun pun. Okay,
2: that's not chicken scratch. That's not even a pun. Is that <laughs> our, a pun? No, that's like a it's Reader's
1: a- Digest commentary on Robert Stroud. <laughs> well, because he made so much money during the
2: year with the birds. With that's the not bird. chicken scratch. That's a, that's a gas pun? work in America.
1: That's a pun.
3: No, that's kind of a pun. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it is. I don't think it's
1: technically a pun. I All think right. it's a it's a commentary. I- okay. Oh. Let's well, get if the train we have we, <laughs> well,
3: well, if we have any uh, comedy professors out there who would, li- who oh, would, and really we would like, and do to tell us, <laughs> we really do. You
2: imagine teaching <laughs> teaching comedy? Oh, oh good what cream. a garbage oh. thing! <laughs> if you want to be funny, just go and see if people laugh when you're on stage, and then work until they do. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah.
1: Or or or
3: be a lawyer.
2: What go someplace choice. else. Go to another. Go to another
3: place. Whatever we'll you g- want to do. Well, concerning that socio political landscape, as we all know, the prohibition of alcohol in the 20s created an entirely new, extraordinarily violent criminal class, unlike anything the modern Oof. world had ever seen. The problem was that not only were there more people being arrested, but that the people being arrested were more violent and more likely to attempt escape. Mm. So, to deal with them, the government created the FBI. And the Bureau of Prisons.
1: We really should do the history of the FBI at Oh some my point, god. Right? That would be
3: fascinating. W- Absolutely. We have
1: we already have plans to do a bunch of Prohibition era uh criminals, so we're going to be doing that. But I do like Robert Stroud in Looking Outward talks about the the transition from the outlaw days from mm. Jesse James to the Prohibition times. And it is very interesting to talk about those two classes of maniacs, about the like, yeah. idea of like essentially the uh, Old West style, multiple murderers that were essentially people that just never stopped fighting the Civil War and mm-hmm. then they just took it forward into the next generation. <laughs> into 2021? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> and then the Prohibition era criminal was like super villains yeah. that started yeah. popping up everywhere.
2: Yeah, we, I mm. can't wait to cover that because, you know, women's suffrage goes into Prohibition. It's so much. And this is the one thing I'll say that might be hashtag brave or something. But when it comes to the Hoover building, the mm-hmm. H- We can take his name off of everything. I think that man was such a scumbag. I just hate that we have any any kind of honor to him whatsoever. Like, what? What an asshole. You
3: know, what's funny is that Hoover actually claimed to have bought a canary from Robert Stroud. Uh, And Hoover claimed that uh, he that Stroud had actually taken a sparrow and painted it yellow and sold it to him. But (sighs) Dagger Hoover was also a notorious liar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to prevent These criminals that were coming into the prison system to prevent them from making any money while in prison and to ensure their communication with the outside world was at a minimum. The director of the Bureau of Prisons forbade prisoners from engaging in outside business ventures. Now, most prisoners didn't really care, but it had a huge effect on Robert Stroud. And it had a huge effect on Robert Stroud's mother because Robert Mm. Stroud's mother had come to depend on all this new bird money that was suddenly flying around. That's my friend is a pun.
2: That's not chicken (laughs)
0: scratch.
3: (laughs) So, Stroud's mother started giving interviews to newspapers, presenting her son Robert as the mildest, most tender-hearted of all of her children, and he just happened to have murdered two men in cold blood over relatively trivial arguments. My my son is so innocent. He's so innocent,
1: he's able to really connect at the level of the young boy he likes to have sex with. My (laughs) other son's a professional liar. And he carries yeah. and he may carry birds around in his jacket, but oftentimes they get sick and die. Robert tries to uh-huh. make them better while all my other son does is put birds in hats. There you go. <laughs> the only
2: way that Robert is a better son than her
3: other son is because that son is a magician. Yep. <laughs> Furthermore, she again brought up the long history of insanity in her family, and she claimed that the birds were the only thing keeping her son Robert sane, and taking away those birds amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. Would you
1: take away the seashell bra from the mermaid? (laughs) (laughs) Would you take away the octopus from the starfish's home where the octopus (laughs) serves as a maid? No, (laughs) no, we would
3: not, (laughs) ma'am. No, no, no. So, the story started picking up steam, and it eventually reached a reporter named Della Jones. And Della Jones soon became infatuated with the Birdman of Leavenworth. There's just something about this (laughs) Birdman. There's something about him. Something about how he's the only man who won't grab at me, and I don't know why. Oh, isn't that nice? Before long, articles written on Robert's behalf with Della's byline began appearing in Bird magazines like Roller Canary Journal... And Bird World. If you hit the front page of the Roller Canary Journal, that's, cool. that's like some of the biggest,
1: that's of the, all eyes of the bird industry. They fucking follow that. That's the variety of the canary, roller. I think roller canary is a type of canary. That's awesome. That's the
3: variety of the roller canary world. That's cool. However, when one read these articles, it became apparent that most of the content had been written by Robert Stroud. Because while Della Jones was a trained reporter, the articles were full of aggressive run-on sentences and plenty of emotional blackmail.
1: i tell you what, the reason why you gotta keep looking at these birds and you gotta be around these birds is because each bird I take care of it's one less boy I have to murder. Okay,
2: thank you so much. So she plagiarized this prisoner's work but didn't edit it? She didn't put periods. In. That's all she had to do.
3: <laughs> well, I, th- I think it was mostly just like, yeah, just put this out. No, do it exactly how I wrote it. How I, It's exactly how I wrote it. That's but how the, I want it out there.
2: He's in solitary confinement. So when she yeah. changes everything, he's not going to be able to do too much.
3: Mm-mm. Well, she was also infatuated with him. And, mm-hmm. and when, I say, him. when I say infatuated with him, I mean romantically infatuated with him. He's covered in more shit than a
2: Roman statue. He's surrounded by birds, and he's in prison for double murder. Yeah, dude, he's selling am I birds. Something?
1: It's <laughs> selling birds. It shows that all women really want is a man with a job. Oh. <sighs> That's all they care about. That's how low the standards are. All right.
3: On well, those articles, Stroud is painted as a good son who was only trying to do the right thing to financially support his mother, and prison officials were nothing more than cruel-hearted bastards who were trying to starve his poor mother to death. But even though it all started in bird magazines, the story gained traction, and full-page articles began appearing in newspapers all over Kansas and Missouri. Letters thereafter poured into Leavenworth, Congress, and the White House, followed by petitions signed by thousands of people saying, let the man have the birds. Wow. Of course, Woodrow Wilson wasn't concerned about the massive
2: disparity of wealth or race. Uh, He was mostly reading Rolling Canary. (laughs) That was what was on his front desk every day. He kept showing up. Yeah, we're about to get into some pretty big wars and things. Maybe some preemptive actions would have been good. But
3: this is like the This is I think by this time we're getting into Hoover land. We're getting I think we're around Hoover times. We're getting into uh, a little bit of maybe Coolidge. We might even be in Roosevelt by this point. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, by this point. Yeah, I, I, by this time, like Woodrow Wilson was already long dead
2: from a stroke. Also, Kelvin Coolidge, with the name like that, you would think he would be a lot like more awesome because a cool name. Yeah. Kelvin yeah, Coolidge yeah. is like the coolest dude in school. Did he, he, who's the one who died of the flu? Oh, that was Henry uh, uh, Harrison, I believe. William it was Henry like Harrison. 19, yeah, 19 died in days in or something like that. 30, 30 days. In. He died in 30 days. Yeah, Greatest Calvin president Coolidge. we've
1: ever had. Yeah. And Calvin Coolidge, he died of uh, dropping the
3: empty elevator shaft. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is correct. Yes. Nice. Wow. Well... Eventually, public officials simply got tired of having to answer all these stupid fucking bird questions, so they made an addendum to the rule that said that prisoners could have businesses if the warden said it was okay. Okay. And of course, Robert Stroud was the only person in the entire prison system that was granted this exception. Really? yeah. Now, well, the, the rule was made specifically for him. It was so just, he was could, a, So this was a positive r- rule this for him. A, this for was him. a fucking home run for him. Wow. Now, for Leavenworth, Stroud was a huge PR victory. So they returned his business and gave him an additional sell to house, as our head researcher Joel put it, Stroud's expanding bird empire. Wow. Emboldened by the good press and all the support from the bird community. Stroud began work on his first book, published in 1933 under the title Diseases of Canaries, Stroud's first book has gone down in true crime lore as one of those factoids you might see uh, on one of those like did you know meme pages like did you know that you know criminal Robert Stroud uh, actually discovered a lot of diseases about birds and so on and so forth the legend perpetrated mostly by Birdman of Alcatraz and the legend that is still in circulation today is that Stroud wrote one of the first expansive books on avian disease and he furthered the cause of bird science using nothing more than what he was able to teach himself. Self.
1: Which I wouldn't recommend. I think you should go to veterinary school.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like, I'd say that maybe you should
1: learn about, I, you know, because I've, you know, we've had Wendy for four years. I don't know anything about dogs. No,
2: no,
3: no. The truth, however, is that Diseases of Canaries was mostly plagiarized from existing bird books, and his original work was functionally useless because every experiment he'd done had been done in a dank shit-covered prison cell. With his bare hands <laughs>
1: oh, and my prison God. materials. Oh, my
3: God. But even so, publishing a book gave Stroud a bit of an ego, hmm. and by the mid-1930s, he'd abandoned Della Jones, who was by then inexplicably claiming to be Stroud's wife, even though they'd never gotten married. She, in turn, abandoned journalism and disappeared before dying in the 1960s of stomach cancer. God. Oh my god, so she had a pretty long life. She did.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah.
3: So by the age of 45, Robert Stroud had become a bit of a Leavenworth eccentric. He was known to be an accomplished painter, but he was mostly known for his pungent odor and his, quote, Nutty gingivitis breath.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I never want to hear a breath
2: described as nutty. It's not a wine. You're not a sommelier of the throat.
1: That is disgusting. I just oh, oh, oh just uh, that kind of like butler breath. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, a butler has very good breath. I mean, if uh, he's got yeah. proper mints, absolutely. <laughs> well, on a pretty regular basis, Stroud could be found in his cell fully nude and covered in bird shit with colorful canaries perched on his head and shoulders while he hunched over a microscope amongst homemade bird cages stacked floor to ceiling.
1: The truth is, again, remember, he's still in solitary confinement, even though he does have like some vague connections to the outside world. He can do it over letters, but no one can come and see him. So he is really losing touch because now he's 20 years of being alone and so he is losing touch with any sort of humanity and in in his own way he's no longer it's it's really weird how i think a a person's behavior really comes down to being observed absolutely people talk about during quote-unquote quarantine being like i don't even have pants on but if you're in solitary confinement at some point does it matter if you have clothes on Nope. No,
2: of course it doesn't. And are you really a human if other humans aren't recognizing you as a human? That's a very good point. True bio- bio- biological question, because I know I'm a, I know who I'm hanging out with. You. Oh, yeah, we know. <laughs> but yeah. truthfully, don't these birds have a lot of pathogens? He's covered in bird shit. Didn't he get sick? Do we
1: need to study this man's DNA? How could he live (laughs) surrounded by bird shit and not, like, die of the flu or anything? I think this is for our avian experts out there. Side stories, LPOTL at gmail.com. If you know anything about fucking birds and what it means, my my guess is that if you raise a bird from egg to bird, it doesn't have a chance to pick up the bacteria it would need to make those diseases. But I don't know. I have no idea. It just seems like he would be sick all the time. I mean, I'm just talking about this from because I
2: watch
3: animal hoarders.
2: Of yes. course. They are very sick all the
3: time. Yes. Yeah. Or it could be that a bird that's bred for domest- uh, for being a domestic animal has less of a chance of carrying those sorts of things. Oh, fucking no! Side stories No, this is not is a, a bird,
2: bird podcast. podcast. But I just think it's fascinating.
3: Or maybe he was sick the whole time and we just don't know. I don't. Know well, Stroud was also allowed fresh food, and he had an extraordinary supply of chemicals, disinfectants, and insecticides, making him by far the prisoner with the most privileges ever given in Leaven worth penitentiary you know what he has all the accoutrements of dr gasoline (laughs) he really does (laughs) chemicals disinfectant disinfectants and insecticides we'll be meeting in
1: the squared circle (laughs) me my partner nissan ultima
3: the
0: polish slinky
3: stroud soon began work on his second book but unlike diseases of canaries The second book was not professionally edited, and as a result, was quite a bit more patronizing, pompous, aggressive, and rambling. And it was often wildly inappropriate for a book on birds.
1: Yeah, dude, man, he's bringing a new energy to the bird environment. He's like, this is Robert (laughs)
3: Stroud, uncut. I guess so. (laughs) For example, he wrote this in the book. Years of work, study, the lives of literally thousands
1: of birds. Almost every line, every word is splattered with sweat and blood. For every truth I have outlined to you, I have blundered my way through a hundred errors. I have killed birds when it was almost as hard as killing one's own children. I've had birds die in my hand when their death brought me greater sadness than I have ever felt over the passing of a member of my own species you know i mean he has a heart but it's also like you killed three people he has no love with just that weird show where it's that it's that weird quality where he has no love for anything part of humanity but yeah. he but the loves bird. these fucking birds
2: i mean honestly it's a it's a testament to the uh to the animal isn't it Yep. aren't they the most humanizing creature of all birds of? don't
1: know what they're doing that, but that's probably birds why don't know you, if they're that your that's friend why, but
2: that also that makes them 100 percent innocent but a
1: dog or a cat knows that it's your friend
2: yeah cats do not know they're your
1: friend. cats have no god <laughs> no. cats have no masters cats do not care you Thanks. are just yeah you're just a food conveyance uh, exactly
3: <laughs> now much of stroud's knowledge published in his second book sounded good in the 1930s but when it's read today, it's obvious that Stroud had all the insight of a medieval doctor performing medicine based on anecdotal evidence and his own feelings. Yeah,
1: he's like Mangala, but for birds. <laughs> right. I wonder if birds could all communicate to each other where they're like, Oh God, where are you going? Are you going to Stroud's cell? Oh fuck, you gotta get out of there, buddy. You gotta get <laughs> yeah. the hell out of there. I mean, to cr- start seeing
2: if he can give you blue eyes. If he had the political power and... uh and in whatever the time of, of Mengla, he probably would have been similar to someone like that. But for Maybe. birds. Yeah. But for birds,
3: yeah. Oh, oh well, I
1: think he would have gone to people, though, if he was around them. Oh, oh, he would have just straight up killed people. He was not yeah. trying to fix them.
3: Stroud didn't understand basic scientific or medical facts, and everything was colored by the fact that the birds were almost drowning in their own excrement. <laughs> when he studied the bodies of dead birds, he confused decomposition with the effects of the disease he was studying but still presented everything as fact. In other words, while one doesn't necessarily need to go to school to study writing, art, history, or even mathematics, biology does tend to be one of those things in which a guiding hand is helpful. Well, you need a book. Yeah. You need (laughs) some (laughs) biology books, which
1: I'm certain he had, but also at the time, it sounds like all the stuff he had was like super old timey in this time period.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you just need you need someone to guide your hand and go, "No, no, no, no. That's that seems like it's working, but it's it's not working at all." I, no, I mean, I, we're we're like 30 years out removed from bloodletting, right?
2: Yeah. Like we're, we're st- like medicine, even if you had the most up-to-date book, it would still probably be kind of bonkers.
3: I mean, it was definitely in a time when the the, the third psychiatrist that they brought in for uh, Stroud's trial, like maybe like 20 years earlier, was a phrenologist. Mm-hmm. That they feel I, the
1: bumps on your head to see if they can tell by the shape of your skull if you're crazy or not. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> I see. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also wonder if... I'm starting to actually think... I don't think these prisons actually cared about the birds. I don't think they did
2: either, I Henry. I don't
1: think they cared about fixing That's
2: these the
3: birds. That's
1: the thing that you're going to get upset <laughs> about? I'm just saying. It just sounds like the, the birds were just kind of like a side thing. I huh.
3: agree. But even though Stroud had no idea what he was doing or what he was talking about, he was still... Highly respected in the bird world Because Robert Stroud made birding cool (laughs) 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 It's like yeah man No you want to fucking talk shit about me About my canaries We got a criminal that's all about birds And it's super fucking rad man You know who's the closest
1: person to this? Mike Tyson
3: with his love of pigeons yes yes that's a good point well by the 40s robert stroud had over 2,000 names in his prison correspondence file
0: wow wow
3: and at times stroud would even share his cell block with some of the more infamous prisoners of the early 20th century ma barker gang member alvin carpus nicknamed old creepy knew stroud personally and stroud Claimed to have heard Carl Panzram singing a song about his own asshole called (gasps) Oh How I Love My Round Eye. The <laughs> night before. <laughs> wow.
1: You just the... see
2: Van Morrison on the outside with a cup just be like, round
1: eye, brown
3: eye, you're perfect. Good, and you're all going to learn that song faster. or I'm going to start kicking you trumpets. <laughs> and that was the night before Pantram was executed at Leavenworth. That is oh. like, you
1: know that painting that they have of like Humphrey Bogart and Marilyn Monroe all the sitting at the diner together? That, yeah, mm-hmm. Just that with them all on one cell block, like just knowing oh. like here imagining hearing the one of the most dangerous men to ever live, Carl Panzeram, just singing a weird Al parody song to his <laughs> own butthole. Right. You're just it's just another day for you, man.
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs> However, national circumstances would once again have a direct effect on Stroud's tiny bird kingdom, and everything was about to fall apart for Robert Stroud. So when the United States entered World War II, quite a few prison guards quit their jobs to join the armed forces. As such, Leavenworth no longer had the manpower to cater to Robert Stroud or to his birding habits. And at the same time, Stroud had accidentally fucked himself over because over the 30-some-odd years he'd been incarcerated, he'd become a high-profile prisoner. And when World War II broke out and the prison system suffered, many of America's most high-profile prisoners were sent to where else but Alcatraz Island. Woo! And that's where we'll pick back up for part two with a short history of Alcatraz and the conclusion. To Robert Stroud's story. Wow. And it'll
1: be, it's very interesting because that's the truth, right? It's like, you know, when you get yourself to a level where you start to get canceled for your old tweets. Sure. Where if <laughs> you just get, he built himself up to a point where he was too big Dude, like, he was a supervillain. Like, he became right. a very well-known prisoner, very well-known criminal. And so he had to go to the top of the criminal pyramid, which was at Alcatraz, the inescapable island. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to get to part two of this
2: series. Absolutely and we've got the- We can smell, I can smell the bird shit I now. can smell the <laughs> bird
1: shit next Woo! week. Yeah, we're talking a little bit. We're covering a little of the history of Alcatraz. We'll be covering Robert Stroud. And then in our third episode of the series, we'll be talking about, which is, I want to say the we're in action story. We're like an hey. action movie territory with the escape from Alcatraz. We'll yeah. be talking about how difficult it was to get off the rack and what the rack was like on a day-to-day basis.
2: And I wonder yeah. if we'll come to the conclusion of if those who escaped survived or not survived. But I like we to will fantasize be. they did, but I don't know if they did because it seems like the waters are rough.
3: We'll be talking about it. Oh, All right.
1: And so one announcement I like to make, if you're still fucking listening, one announcement I'd like to make is that I'd like you to go ahead, if you like and Deep Dives Dune or someplace underneath, I would love for you to go and on Spotify for Dune, go and click the follow button. Click. It's free. It just helps us boost our numbers. And it's, you know, we got the Swedes looking down from the Ascended Masters yes, are looking down. They want to look at it. Um, the but tall also, whites. Yes. And the yes. some Place underneath. We would just love for you to support the show. We're getting such good feedback yes. on it. And that's on anywhere you get your podcasts. So if you go and... Click wherever you like to listen, follow it there because we want to get them some ad support yep. and they deserve it. They've been a lot of work into that show and Natalie and Amber are crushing it. It's great.
2: It's
3: a great show. I really enjoy it. So yeah, hi, go check it out. Highly recommend it. And
2: uh, even if you just want to give just Natalie some empathy support because she has to be married. To uh, Terry the Gnome over here, we please, build, whatever the reason why you subscribe, we're building is, a different home. I know. <laughs> well, thank you all support. Thank you all for supporting all the shows here on the Last Podcast Network. Uh, we are we're just a, a great little community, and uh, without you, we have no community. So thank you so much, and we can't wait to see you. The day is coming closer woo, and closer woo, woo. to Grundy County, and uh, I'm I'm going to tell you this. I'm not bathing for 3 weeks out from the show. Hell because yeah. I want to be ready for Grundy County. <laughs>
1: I'm so excited. I
2: am uh, so excited. We I'm really so are happy.
1: so happy
2: happy. we can't wait to see you all and uh, hope everyone is safe hope everyone's doing well out there uh hang on in there if you're going through a hard time um i know we i just i just randomly saw a tweet of a gentleman i believe it was bam bam on twitter who lost his wife recently so our hearts are with you we know how hard that can be to lose uh, a loved one so hang in there and uh the uh the, the one thing that all of our lost loved ones want for us is to continue to be happy and successful so, remember that? We Unless lo- they're
1: yearning for revenge. Unless they come back from the
2: grave <laughs> and they kill you, in which case, okay, well, we got to figure out, and then we have to look inside. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, all right, everyone, hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hey, Don't forget, Beastie Boys Part Two is out this week. Check it out. Bye. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Check it out. Check, check, check,
1: check, 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 check it out. That's my hip hop. That is so good. Uh-huh. <laughs> check, check, check it out. Check it out. Wow, you're so good. I'm sorry, I can't fill the space that DMX has left behind. <laughs> oh, he's still it's, around. It's, no, he's, no not. he's not. He died. He did pass. It's very, it. very sad. Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, R.I.P. DMX. Yeah.
1: All this right? is in memory of DMX, DMX's series. The series. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to LastPodcastNetwork.com.
0: Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest.